Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. Good to be back in the saddle, as they say. I mean, I know we've been getting programming to our special people out there, the fans, the boxing and MMA fans that are out there that we care about, that are with us, that have been loyal to us. We've been loyal to them. We hope that we can continue to make them happy and bring them what they want. We uh, had a couple of weeks where we were scattered around places a little bit, but we kept the program, the programming coming. We covered the two big fights with the fight plans. We also got the pre-fight stuff up there for all the fans. And um, but now we're back live in living color, and um, I was away in Ireland. I was in beautiful Ireland, a lot of greenery. Last time I saw that much green was when I saw you and your sons go to a Boston Celtic game. But this <laughs> this time it's organic, it's real, and uh, it was great. I was over there for a very good friend, Keith Sullivan, who has also been for years an attorney for the charity foundation that I run, the Dr. Atlas Foundation, where we help people that fall through the cracks for 26 years now. And Keith's been a part of it, along with David Berlin and my daughter, Nicole, where they all give their legal expertise the way that you're supposed to do it if you're doing something to help people. They do it pro bono. That means free. And um, so that speaks <laughs> to the kind of man Keith has been and David and, of course, my daughter, that they've been doing that with no no look to get anything other than the satisfaction that they're helping people. So we went over there. Me and my wife went over there for Keith. He met a beautiful Irish lassie, a lass. What's the proper way to say that? Lassie or proper... Um, Irish loss, um, beautiful Irish woman some few years ago, and they got married over in Clare Island in uh, one of the castles over there, beautiful wedding. Irish weddings are famous. They, they last two days at least. This one was two days, Saturday and Sunday, beautiful uh, beautiful people, beautiful wedding, beautiful ceremony, beautiful church, uh, everything. And the people in the country just couldn't be nicer. As I said, just beautiful scenics everywhere. And to make it even a little extra special, not that it needed to be, but it turned out my former fighter, uh, who I helped manage what was it, 30 years ago, just a special person also like Keith Sullivan, Jimmy McMahon, uh, great family. He was he was over there. Actually, he readjusted what, what special friends do. He readjusted his whole vacation to go to Ireland. He's from Ireland originally. He's got businesses over there. His mother lives there. He's got, you know, his sisters live there. He's got a home over there. He lives here in the Rockaways in New York. But um, he trained in Gleason's gym years ago. And 
he actually retired when he was 14 and 0, 14 or 13 and 0. But he's he, thank God he's a successful contractor, construction guy. As I said, he readjusted his whole vacation with his family to be there when me and Elaine were there so he could show us around. And it really did make it, it just made it extra special. He showed us around in his hometown of Minuth, uh, settles us, we stayed for a week. So we were there for the first five days in Minuth, and then he took us to the wedding over in Clare and got to be around his family, Jimmy's family, his wife Lynn and all his kids, um, He's got a little boy who's uh, James, who's who's a boxer. Got to go to the gym with him. Got to go to the gym where Jimmy started, uh, with all the kids there. They had a whole bunch of kids there. I went there, gave each one, tried to give each one one tip, one lesson, but spent a couple hours in the gym with their coaches and with the kids. And just a reminder of how important and how international boxing is to help develop kids. Not not only as fighters, but as people. To just make them better people. Makes them more independent. It teaches them they can count on themselves. They can rely on themselves. That's important to know. And it gives them confidence. Gives them discipline. Gives them good direction. And you need good coaches to do that. And those guys over in Ireland, just like there's plenty of them over here, but... They were they were in the gym working with all these kids again for nothing, nothing other than the satisfaction that they're helping some kid, you know, become better, uh, become more sure of themselves, and um, and hopefully it carries through in their life, which it does. So it, it was a great trip. It was a it was a great trip. I'm I'm so happy Keith found the right person. They found each other, and now. The honeymoon's over. I'm back with you. I, I didn't mean to say it to make it sound <laughs> sound that way. I'm sorry. I didn't make, uh, but I'm just. <laughs> the honeymoon's never over over here. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> but and then of course the special thing here was my son flew in because my daughter had uh, another beautiful gave us another beautiful granddaughter Adeline and um. Now she's a couple weeks old. She's getting big every day. And my son, Teddy, flew in from Vegas to be here with us. And so it's been great having him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, good to, it's good to be home. It's good to be back in the saddle, you know. Well, it's good to be back with you. Friend of mine from Pedro, we always talk about Pedro. You got to meet him, uh, Pedro Martinez Fraga. Yep. good man, good friend, good lawyer. More importantly, just good person. And and he knows his boxing. Well, he was a pro boxer years ago. Uh, he gave me this little gift before I got on the plane, uh, a Celtic Cross Irish rosary, but Celtic Cross to take my trip. And Jimmy McMahon's mother, as a good Irish mother would do. What do you think she did? She took it and got it blessed by the by the priest in the church over there. So, um, nice. I'm, I'm a little extra protected. I'm a little, and I need it. Very. I nice. need. It. <laughs> I, as you can see, <laughs> I need all the protection I can get. Well, there'll be a lot of people thanking you for your picks uh, from last week, and you were right on the screws with um, the Crawford Spence pick. 
I believe we had Spence in the, uh, sorry, Crawford in the under. And uh, if you're ready, let's jump right into it because I know the fans are dying to hear about this, hear your breakdown. Uh, not only are they, but I'm dying to hear the breakdown here because as I've always told, as we've always mentioned on the show, we don't talk about the fights. Teddy and I don't talk about the fights until we're uh, live on the air for you guys. So everything you're hearing is the first time we've discussed any of it. And if you're ready, Teddy, I'll set it up and then turn it over to you. Yes, ready. Ready, Freddy. Ready, Ken. All right. All right. From my perspective, it was uh, obviously a one-sided beatdown. Crawford just put on a seam to put on a master class from the very beginning. He just took in the information that uh, Spence was giving him, and he just took him apart piece by piece. I mean, just an absolute master class. The footwork, the distance, the range, everything about Crawford was on point in this fight. I I was shocked at how he completely and totally dismantled Spence, beat him down, like almost gave him like a humiliating beating relative to what Spence has done in the rest of his career. And I'm a fan of both guys, but my God, it was like Spence, credit to him for staying in there and having the heart to keep punching and keep trying. But no matter what he did, Crawford seemed to take advantage of it. I mean, just looked like he not only took his... Not only took him apart physically, but mentally, he just looked defeated before the end was near. And uh, I'm dying to get your opinion on whether or not you thought that the trainer was a little late in stopping this, because I think it might have gone maybe around to half, at least a half around too long. He was getting pummeled. He never once landed a shot that seemed to have any effect whatsoever on Crawford. I mean, I guess everyone's got a puncher's chance in the grand scheme of things, but when a guy's getting this dismantled, you could see his face look just a bloody mess from the early goings. But um, with that being said, I'm dying to hear what you think and um, what you thought of the the trainer's delay in um, stopping that, if you thought it was warranted to stop it. Well, first off, as you just touched on, you know, if you listen to the last podcast, the pre-fight Spence and Crawford, and you watch the fight plan, you know, and, and the, pre- the whole thing, the whole package. Uh, you might have had a little early Christmas present with some extra shillings, um, a little extra yep. de- dinero, um, if you will, for our great, great, great Mexican fans that are out there. And uh, yeah, Canelo's a little overrated. But, but anyway, um, just want to keep you awake. <laughs> just want to keep you on your toes. Make sure you're, you know, you're alert and you know that this is not an imposter. This is actually uh, just not another good-looking guy in a black T-shirt that says to fight uh, with Teddy Atlas. It's actually me. So wanted to make sure that uh, we, we gave you Crawford and the under, as Ken just said. And, um, and we also broke down how it would happen. That, uh, I'm not right all the time but this one we did have it right simply put I'm going to give you this analogy and this visual it gets us to where I want to get to Spence is the first prototype Terminator from the Terminator movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Crawford is the new advanced prototype in the second Terminator the one that could turn into liquid steel and take on any form, you know. Um, And I think that Spence is obviously a very good, solid, fundamental fighter. But the reason I use that analogy with the Terminators is there's just 
Crawford's different. Crawford's one of those special guys, and he's special for a reason. They all have talent. He's got the physical talent, but he's the rare guy identified before the fight that I was talking about, where he's and he's Louis Armstrong on the trumpet, where he invents his own notes. He's Jimi Hendrix on the guitar, where he hits his own strings. But he's where these those guys had a special ear, where they heard things that others didn't hear. They they heard the notes, they heard the sounds, the music talked to them in a way that it didn't talk to other very solid musicians. Very good, but not quite at that level. And that's And Teddy, can I just say something right there? You are. You've been saying that since you've been saying that uh <laughs> sorry. No, no you've been no. saying that since we've done this show about Crawford and his ability to make it up as he goes. And I was always like yeah, yeah, he's really good. He's as good as it gets. Might be one of the best, but I never really let it, like, absorbed it, and I don't think I had seen it in the way you've described it until this fight. And in this fight, maybe because it was so anticipated and the hype was so much for Spence, and there was so, you know, we were right down the middle with people that thought Spence, other people thought Crawford. And what Crawford was able to do to him was masterful. I mean, if you watch slow motion replays, I'm like, look at the footwork, the way he would step around, catch him with hooks. He'd stay just out of range where Crawford couldn't, Spence couldn't hit him with a jab. And then he'd lunge in and Crawford would step back and crack him with a hook. And I was like, oh my God, this is the first time that I've really like appreciated just how masterful Crawford was. I think in the past, I just discounted the opponents as like, oh, these guys are just flailing. They're not that good. But when you, when I saw Crawford do what he did to Spence, all I could hear in my in my head was you saying he's making it up as he goes. Like, look at this. I mean, it was just incredible. It was like watching a master class like Picasso paint. He just took him apart and physically and emotionally. It looked like it. It starts with special physical talent and attributes of speed. He was the faster guy. Well-taught technique. His people deserve credit. He's got good people teaching him, preparing him. Power. Um, length, he's got long arms. He knows how to use that length. That's one of the reasons why he out-jabbed, which I said would be a key for both guys. The jab would be very important, and it was. Um, and then he executes it. But he executes it. See, this is where the difference is. Like I said, they all have talent. Some more, some less. But he executes it within a special vacuum of, the best way I could say, really, of kind of like still air that doesn't exist for many. Uh, a cerebral calmness. See, that that's that's the thing that I want to touch on, where everything slows down for him, like it did for Michael Jordan in basketball, Tom Brady in football, where they see things that other people don't see. And, I mean, again, to use another analogy, uh, you know, exaggerated analogy, but, again, to get the visual of how special this guy is to get the point across <laughs> like Neil in the Matrix where the bullets slow down for Neil uh, and I just wondered didn't anyone else other than well I'm not saying I'm anything special but didn't anyone else notice his eyes I mean we understood his speed and his you know his counterpunching abilities and his power his instincts even but his eyes he saw everything, every nook and cranny. 
every crevice of an opening before it even opened. And because of his special talent of speed and reactive ability, he's able to have a sense of timing where he places the punches and pulls the trick on them at the exact millisecond needed to land that his opponent is just starting. Like, his opponent, it's like a gunslinger where the the gun, the other gunslinger is just starting to put his hand on the pistol and the other guy's already got it out <laughs> and, and at him and it's over. Like He's going to, uh, okay, ready, draw! And one guy starts to touch, the other guy's like this. You're a little late, partner. And that's him. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and that's part of it. And Crawford, said what I had said on some of the platforms I'd been interviewed on before the fight, obviously on our platform. He needed Spence to bring the best out of him. He did. that Because like Sugar Ray Leonard needed Tommy Hearns and Roberto Duran and Marvin Hagler to reach his greatness, to unleash it. The great ones need that challenge. You know, that threat. Even if in the end it's just a perceived threat. And it doesn't amount to be that threat. It doesn't matter, as, as it turns out. It, it just has to be there to awaken them, Ken, to, to ignite what otherwise lays dormant and doesn't get activated if, if they don't have that, that person to bring it out. And that's what the great ones, they, they thrive for that. It's not just the money. They want to fight the best because they know that's the only way that they will... Activate, activate the greatness inside themselves, that they will find that, that place. To, to, sometimes they, they, they haven't been there before. They know it's there, though, and they know that they need that challenge to bring them there, to, to bring, like I say, in, a person's body is their house, to open up another room in their house that hasn't been opened. And that's, that's what people like Crawford crave, that somebody will get them to open up those doors. And and that's what he did. And someone to awaken the sleeping dog, to to make them, as I said, unlock those doors. And the annihilation that took place was, for me, was reminiscent of Mayweather taking apart Corrales, uh, piece by piece, or maybe Tyson Fury in the second fight against Wilder. Um literally pulling the bricks away from the house. That's what it was for me. He he was pulling the bricks away, one brick at a time, and at the end, the house just collapsed. It just collapsed because there were no more bricks there. And and that's what Crawford did. He, he, he just took away the bricks from the structure, the structure of a human being, the structure of a really good fighter. Um... Uh, in the fight plan, I said that Spence gets heavy at times looking to land the left to the body. You know, we showed that. We illustrated where he'll reach in a little bit or you can entice him to reach in. Talked about the counter-punching abilities. Talked about the well-roundness. Talked about the dimensions of Crawford, that he's more dimensional. And he showed it, that there's so many things he can do. He can get off first. He can control range. You know, he can use his long jab just to keep you where he wants to keep you to set you up with, with the other shots, 
uh, combinations at the right time. But he can counter punch brilliantly. He, as I said, he time shots brilliantly. But he showed what we talked about in the fight plan where he he took that little step back, jab, take a little step back, just entice Spence to reach him with the and you can see he was prepared. You can see his corner, his training team did their job where they did what we did for the fight plan. They saw the tendencies of Crawford, I mean of Spence, where he would get heavy with the left hand. He would look to go to the body. You could get him to tilt forward a little bit. And he did. Little step back, and then he caught him from the southpaw position with the left hand and hurt him again. Hurt him many times in a fight. Um, it, it actually got uncomfortable. It actually got to the torturous sort of, where, where it was almost torture, where it was almost, you know, I'm not saying sadistic, but where, you know, like you, where they talk about the crazy kid pulling the wings off a, a, a fly. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, you're, you're, instead of just killing it, you're, 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 you're torturing it. And it, it, it did, you know, it did get to the point to answer your question where you did ask, when are they going to stop it? Whether it's the ref, whether it's the doctor, or whether it's the corner. Look, it's a good corner. They've been good. They've done a good job by Spence's whole career. They've done a marvelous job. They've cared about him, obviously, in his life. There's no doubt about that. But it got to a point where you did wonder, if it's not the doctor, if it's not the ref, who's going to stop it? Like, you know, and the the thing I look at as, as me, as a trainer, I look at the part where your job is to prepare the fighter to be as elusive possible, as elusive as possible, <laughs> to keep his punches as short as possible, be, you know, as cerebral as possible in the ring, as buttoned up technically as possible, to be as best conditioned physically and mentally as he can be going into that chamber of truth, into that squared circle, into that very, very difficult place that very few people could go into to do battle. But it's also your job, part of that job is to look out for your guy. And, and again, I know that team has looked out for him. I get it. But you can never get away from that. You hope you don't get to that point where you got to stop a fight, but but many do. It's 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 always part of what's hanging over you in this business. Always a possibility, and your job at that point is to see clearly not what you want to see, but what needs to be seen for your fighter's protection, for his, you know, best interest, <laughs> to see when it's if it's time to stop a fight, and. You know, you're there. Again, all those other things are your responsibility. That's your maybe most important responsibility. Protect your fighter. Look out for your fighter. Make sure he doesn't get hurt. And like a parent, I always say a, a, a real trainer is like a surrogate parent. And these guys with Spence, they are like that. It seemed to get a little late. I, I'm not going to go crazy on them, but it just seemed that... Maybe they were, as you said, hoping he's going to land something. Oh, but that's where you have to be cold. You have to be able to put your emotions out of it. What you want, it's not about what you want and what you wish. 
Now it's about what's happening and seeing it clearly so you can make a clear, decisive decision in something so important. And for me, the most important part of, yes, it's about the health, but it's about something else. He was very game, Spence, all the way to the end. Never gave in, never gave up, never submitted, never showed signs of it. I really behaved like a, a true fighter, the way you want a fighter to behave, like a real warrior. And like someone with the code, like the MMA fighters and the great boxers I always talk about, where they have a code of conduct, of behavior, that they can and can't do, that they know that, that they can't submit. They know that they have to continue to try to find a way, that that code, that code is as important as life itself. Because without it, without living that way, you're empty. You're an empty vessel at sea with no stewardship, with no captain. Just, you're empty. Because if you're empty in your spirit, if you're empty with your dignity, if you're empty with your pride, if you're empty with, with just what makes us want to live, what, what propels us forward, that, that care to to conquer, that, that to, to find a way. If you're empty with that, then, you're, then you're, you're a dead man walking. And guys like Spence, they understand that on some levels where they adhere to that cold when the time comes, where you're, you know, yeah, you might be getting hurt physically, but what's inside is the most important, that that, that is still that is still vibrant, that that's still alive. The fire to try, to try, to try, to, to not give in. You know, I mean, that's why, that's why we're still on the planet. I mean, that's why, you know, men are still here. Men and women are still here because we find a way. And that's something that has to be protected where your job, the most important job in a situation like that even though you didn't expect it going in <laughs> becomes your job to make sure that that is never that is never lost with your fighter to make sure that that is never compromised where you protect your fighter from himself where he's so tough that you protect him from himself. Now he's adhering to the code. He's behaving the way you you always want him to behave. Now it's your job to behave the right way. It's your job to say, okay, enough's enough. I have to, I have to protect him from himself. He's he's behaving like a fighter. Now I gotta behave like the trainer. That even though I wish I wasn't having to do this, I have to do it. And. The reason you do it, the most important reason, people are going to say, yeah, Teddy, so he don't go to the hospital. Yeah, Teddy, so he don't get you know, permanently injured. Of course. But also, so he don't lose what I just talked about, where he doesn't get forced to a position where he himself submits. I've seen it. I've seen the toughest guys in the world, and, and corners sometimes didn't stop it, and it's next round, next round, next round, beating after beating, and finally on their own, they get broken. They finally get like a prisoner of war that's being tortured so long, he finally talks. Finally talks. Some don't. Some don't. But 
you don't want your fighter to get to that point where the most valuable thing that they have, which is, again, the light inside themselves the, that, that they never want to go off, the, the, the spirit, that. You never want that. To, you never want them to get to a point where they have to take a knee, where they have to just give in because you didn't do your job. At the right. Now, that didn't happen, but that's one of the things. Yeah, it's the body, but it's the soul. It's the soul of the man, of the person that you have to look out for. And, and I've always been cognizant of that. that. That for me, that's a big part of it. And it didn't get to that point. It didn't, uh, Spence did not submit. Spence behaved like the gladiator, behaved like the samurai with the cold, where he lived up to, he was the marine that, you know, even though he's, he knows going up that hill to take that hill, uh, he knows what it's going to be. He knows what it's going to be. He's going to get, he's, he's not going to come down from the hill, but he's still going up that hill. He's trying to go up that hill. Spence stayed that way and he stayed stout with that. But at some point I started to think, is he going to be broken to the point where he has to get himself out? And again, that didn't happen, but that's one of the things that you, again, you have to protect a fighter, a real fighter, with the real attitude, with the real toughness from himself. Some fighters will protect themselves. Those, these I'm talking about, Spence, they have to be protected. So it, it seemed like it was getting late. Um, the ninth round, finally, uh, you know, it, it just happened because, again, the bricks were pulled from the body, the building, and, and the body, the building, just collapsed. It just, that was it. The, uh, it so, I, again, I'm not blaming nobody. I'm, I'm saying that the ref, the doctor, the, the corner, you know, and ultimately, again, you're the you're partnered with that. You're you're partnered. You're bonded with that fighter as a trainer. You're the surrogate parent in in most cases if you're doing it the right way. So yeah, and it's hard. It's hard for a parent. I've I've seen parents let their fighters that they train take more of a beating than a stranger would. And and I know why, because they couldn't separate emotionally the fact that that was them, that that's them. That's them in there, like, uh, he's got to, he'll turn it around. He'll find a way. And that's what they wish. It's their kid. That's what they hope for. But that's where you have to be able to separate that emotion and see what's actually happening, you know, and be cold about it. So um, at the end of the day, Crawford showed all, just all the, dimensions that a great fighter a special fighter has to have you know as I said great counter punching he so cerebral I mean he came in there with the fisherman's net and it was uh, we laughed but it was so appropriate as soon as I saw it I said that's what I've that's exactly what I've been talking about he's going to set traps he knew what he was going to do he visualized the fight he saw the whole fight before it ever took place uh, that's that's what the special ones do. He this fight already 
had transpired in his mind before he ever got in the ring. <laughs> That's why I'm taking the time to go over these things, Ken, that it's more than what you touched on. I get it, but it's more than just, yeah, he counted, he did this, he, you know, he could punch, he could, all of that, all of that, technically good, all of it, but the mentality, he's got that special mentality. I don't mean as little, literally, obviously. He is, uh, again, just to get to the point, he is a cold, ice-cold-blooded killer. That, that's, that's what Crawford is, and that's what Sugar Ray Leonard was. That's what Sugar Ray Robinson was, the original Sugar Ray. And again, I know it's, some people want to hear that word because it's a business where, God forbid, somebody might not come out of the ring. But I'm just making a point that his his concentration, his commitment, his 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 whole focus is a different focus. It's a calm. There's no. It's it's all business. There's nothing personal. It, it he gets to a place where it's only about the mission. It's only about the job. Very few people get to that place where they're that cold about it, where they're so cold about it that they can see things nobody else sees. They can hear things nobody else hears. That nothing distracts them. Nothing. I remember one time Customato told me a story about a fighter where he said the guy was a really good fighter, became a world champ, but he said he made a point and it's a difficult point, but he made a point where he said, this guy was what, when you become that, nothing can distract you, nothing can beat you, basically, nothing can interfere with the mission at hand because of that sort of mentality that you're locked in. He said that as they were going to the ring, it was almost like a, a scene out of Rocky. As they were going to the ring, one of his corner men fell over. And so they, they grabbed they were, they were on their way to the ring for the fight. They grabbed him, they took him, started to resuscitate him, and they said, go ahead, go, we're taking care of him, it's okay. He just fainted. He just fainted, you know, we're going to take care of him. Go, you know, go to... Go, go to the ring, we're going to take care of him. And medical people took him off to the side. And as he was walking past him, he looked back and he said, he didn't faint, he's dead. Now think about that. I'm not saying that's a characteristic that we want to have <laughs> uh, in normal living, but he wasn't that person otherwise. But in this particular situation... <laughs> getting ready to go do what he did, which is getting in a ring with another man. And in his mind, only one guy, you know, only one guy could come out. Not, not physically, but just obviously the, there's a mission. Nothing can interfere with that mission. That you're going in that ring, you got to come out of that ring as the winner. Nothing can interfere with that kind of, that commitment of of the mind and the body and he turned and he said no he's not he didn't faint 
he, he's dead. And he was. The guy had had a you know heart attack, and he was. And Cuz was just making a point. Very few. Sugar Ray Robinson, the original, he had that. I seen it in Lennon. I I think I seen it in Inouye. We'll talk about that later. And I see it in Crawford. Where, yep. where So, and again, all the physical abilities that he has, they get to be used at a higher level than than anybody else because of that cerebral vacuum that he lives in. And um, I, I tell you, he... Um, it got to a point where Spence... You could see it. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. He he was afraid to come, and I don't mean afraid in a way of courage, but as far as common sense, as far as he was a he was he was hesitant to come forward because he knew when he did, he walked into the sausage grinder. So so he waited. He's like, if I come forward, I'm gonna get counted. But then when he didn't come forward, then he got beat to the punch with the long jab or with combinations behind it, you know, timed perfectly, perfectly. So, again, he was damned if he did, damned if he, if he didn't, you know, where he literally had him coming and going, Crawford. And um, I had said that it was going to start with the jab for both guys. And it did. The jab set the pace, set the tempo. I mean, it stabilized Spence, kept him where he wanted him, put him where he wanted him, stopped him from doing what he wanted to do, and set up the counters, set up the, the where he got off first, the leads, where he initiated, you know, combinations. It It, it was... It was perfect. It actually got where he was moving them where everyone... Remember the old school teachers? I mean, they should have been... Some of them should have been arrested. But the, remember some of them, <laughs> they throw the, the that black chalk um, erase at you? They threw it. Eraser. Yeah, they threw it at me. They hit me in the head a few times. And, um, and it was hard. It wasn't soft. But... They, you know, obviously, oh, yeah, they, they were disciplinarians. They were a little beyond that. But and, and it became like, and I'm saying this, of course, again, to make a point facetious, facetiously, joking around with it, but it, it became like the old school teachers when <laughs> they would reach out and grab you by the nose and, and just pull you to where they wanted you to sit or, or by the ear. I got that plenty of times. And and they give a little twist, little twist, and, and they pull you and put you here and put you there because, you know, you, you weren't listening, right? And that became the fight where Crawford was grabbing him by the ear, the no, and just put him here, put him there, wherever he wanted to put him. And he had complete control of him physically, and and mentally, uh, in every way, and um, it it was target practice, and like I said, it was it, it became bad, uh, a, a bad in a way that 
you know, nobody wants to see somebody just take that kind of punishment where it doesn't seem like there's any chance. Um, it was it was almost, like I said earlier, it was cruel and difficult almost to watch. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything reminiscent of the historians out there, the old-time boxing guys remember Ali against Ernie Terrell for years ago for their heavyweight title. Not as That wasn't as bad, but Ali kept for 15 rounds, just kept dominating, beating him up, and, and kept saying to him, what's my name? What's my name? Because Terrell had caught him, uh, didn't call him his, he had called him his old name, uh, Cassius Clay, and then he changed his name to Muhammad yeah. Ali. So, and Terrell called him by Clay, which is what he knew him as before he changed. So, um, and, you know, and he, and, for whatever reason, he he didn't, in Ali's mind, obviously respect him and call him by his proper name. So he just kept pummeling him all night. What's my name? What's my... It, it was a little bit... Again, that wasn't as bad as this one, but it was a little reminiscent of that. Um, everyone made a big deal about Spence being a naturally bigger guy. I didn't. Uh, I kept saying size is not connected or an indicator of power. Punches are born. How many times do you hear me say that, Ken? They're not made. Crawford was obviously the naturally smaller man, but he was the puncher. And I, I, I said that on all the platforms. He was the puncher. The, he was the explosive puncher in this fight. Yeah, I know he moved up three weight classes from featherweight originally, but he carried his power. He, You either are the puncher or you're not. And he was the puncher despite the size. Um, but I also said, I remember people saying to me, but Teddy, Spence is going to go to his body. You know, he's going to be relentless. He's going to go to the body. And I said this, yeah, he's going to try to go to the body. But to get to the body, he's got to go close. And to get to close, he's got to go through a bad neighborhood to get there. <laughs> and he might get mugged. You go through bad neighborhoods, sometimes bad things happen. I've heard a lot of people say that Spence was drained and it was an unfair advantage for Crawford. And Crawford said after the fight, I'll fight him next at 154 if that's what he wants. Does, did, the, did the weight cut make a difference for you or do you see the same result at a higher weight? Listen, I'm not in his body, but I'll say this. You never saw him affected by the weight. He's always been a big welterweight. And he's, but he's still been dominant. He's been in tough fights, and you've never seen him like this. Now maybe this was the time, finally it happened for him, where the weight became an issue. I don't know, but like I said, he's been a big welterweight for a long time, a long career, and never before did you see the weight affect him or his performance. If if it was the weight, you never saw him. This happened to him before. Um, and because he's never been in there with somebody of this level of ability, and what I said earlier, he's different. He he's the one thing where I can't put a lot of emphasis on a weight is, and again, I don't know. Only they know, but he still was too easy to hit even yeah. early before that would have 
taking place. I'm with you. He, I don't think was, I don't yeah, bef- I don't think the weight cut made a difference. Before it could have got to that place. He was still Yeah. The speed was a big difference right away. Before we could even get to thinking about is he belabored by the laws of weight. Uh he he was getting hit too easily, found too easily. Um his punches were more his punches were like regular punches where the other guys are are timed or faster or are coming where you don't see them. Where his punches you could see everything coming. Um again, if if it's the weight, maybe it happens later. But early on you saw the things I'm talking about <laughs> that he was easy to hit. Speed difference was was obviously there. And I'll tell you the X factor, Ken that I talked about before the fight. Crawford's a junkyard dog. He's, he's nasty. I don't mean as a person. I mean in that ring. And um, I, I obviously don't mean it literally, but just to make the point, as I said earlier, he, he's a straight-up stone killer. And um, again, his demeanor, and very few people have that detached from emotion cold calculating all about the job you know the mission at hand and and i said it earlier sugar ray Leonard, you know an original sugar ray had that very few people had that have that and another thing about crawford i had talked about before i had done i had done a piece with espn ESPN, I, I tell you, they missed the boat. They should have played that the week of the fight. But he's not with them no more, so I guess Shocking. they didn't want to. But, but <laughs> exactly. He, uh, yeah, I did a piece with him in the gym where I broke down his formative fights. I remember. It was excellent. I, it's a shame that they didn't use that material. It's so... I had said to him in one of those pieces, and he did it. He has the ability. He did it. Where Crawford can walk in the rain without getting wet. And, and he did. He walked in the rain without getting wet. And so he, again, um, just just everything, everything was there that you only see with really special fighters. Uh, you know. The earlier, the earlier point I was going to make is he told, Steve, I think Stephen A. after the fight, he said, I think in the maybe late first, early second round, uh, Spence hit him with a big overhand shot that he was wor- waiting for, and that Spence appeared to be waiting for. He goes, he cracked me, hit me right on the right on the button, and he goes, it didn't even remotely phase me. I said, oh, if that's all he's got, it's going to be a long night for him, and it was. He didn't seem to like to the point about stopping the fight. It didn't seem like anything Spence landed was even remotely. Uh, it, it there was a remote chance that he was going to hurt Crawford with everything he had. He was hitting him with shots at times, and Crawford was just, like, walking right through them. At least that's what I saw. I mean, did you see him land any punches of, of, of substance? No, maybe one, but but again, it, it it had no effect, as you just said, because when you're that fighter, part of taking a punch is concentration, you know, just will, will and concentration and confidence, belief that, the guy can't beat you, that he can't hurt you. Like, you might see a, a little light, but you immediately say no. You know, you 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 will it away. You refuse to be taken down that corridor that's going to take you to a dark room 
which is basically a knockout. And the only time you don't have control over that is when you get hit a blind punch, one that you just don't have time to mentally gear yourself, forge yourself to do what I just described. At the end of the day, it was a master class of what the sweet science is all about. You know, and I said, I tweeted this out, my great tweet team, they did an unbelievable job. We got unbelievable numbers all night long, every one of them. I appreciate all of them. Um, I said, he's not just a complete package, Ken. You know, we talk about being a complete package. He's the entire store. He, he He's Macy's, Walmart, Target's, Costco's. Throw in Gimbal's. Gimbal's nobody. You young guys, you don't remember Gimbal's. <laughs> Gimbal's was a, as big as any of them. But he's all of them. All in one. And uh, he put that on full display. But again, the the magic, the glue that pulls all that talent together that allows that beautiful picture, that beautiful puzzle to be put together and to stay together is this. The supreme confidence, the belief, the the mentality, the mental strength, you know, Again, the the ability to be cerebral in the middle of chaos, to to be calm in chaos, and to see what has to be seen, and to be able to execute it with with just millisecond timing. That takes that is the complete package, and that is Crawford. Well, we've got a ton of other stuff to to cover, so I don't want to uh, I don't want to cut this breakdown short. But one no, quick question it. about the future for Crawford: Do you think he moves up? Do, do you if he moves up? Do you think he can beat the uh, 154 Charlo? I mean, there does come a ceiling of how far you can move up. You know, he's moved up what three, four weight classes already. Three, I guess. You know, how many more can you move up? Lomachenko moved up three, but then, you know, he got to his limit. You can see he can't go past lightweight, and he's different. Yep. Crawford's got a different body. He's got a different skeleton that you know you can put some mass on it because of how wiry and tall he is, um, how long his arms are. So he's got a little different structure that way, where you can add to it, but it does. There does get to be a limit, but um, obviously, it's who. It depends who the fighter is at that next weight class. I'll put it this way: I don't see any fighter. See, I'll remove the weight for two seconds. I don't see any fighter at that next weight class. You mentioned Charlo um, as a possibility that is as good as him close to being as good as him or capable of beating him. And I don't know that weight is going to change that. That's that's my answer. I agree. I don't know that weight's going to change. I mean, we're not talking about going to heavyweight, but I'm I'm saying uh, an, another step with who's there, uh, he is so superior. And again, he's it takes these challenges in his mind to bring out stuff that we had never seen with him before. 
We had never, I knew it was there. I felt I knew it was there. But we had, we seen peaks of it. We seen glimpses of it, parts of it, no doubt, but never all of it. And here's the scary part. I don't know if we've seen all of it yet. And in his mind, he's probably saying, you haven't seen all of it yet. Give me one more challenge and, and let, me, let me open another door in my room because that's what the great ones think. So I, I tell you, the only thing that, that does ring a little bit to me when you ask that question, there's, there's one other thing. Um, and that guy is undefeated. Even Crawford might have trouble with him. And that's Father Time, where, you know, that does, <laughs> that does play in at some point. And he is 35, 36 years old. That does play in at some point. But I always say, in boxing, you don't judge a guy's age chronologically so much as you do by the amount of punishment they've taken in their career. How many punches they've been hit? How gotcha. how yep. how you know worn are they? Crawford, you know he's got a lot of thread on the tires. He don't have a lot of miles on the odometer. When you look at it that way, he's fresh. So I yeah. I don't know. Um, I I wish he was ten years younger because and I mean this because he's that special that I I'd, I'd love to see you know what other continents he could conquer out there. <laughs> you know what what other lands he could go and put his flag into that land and saying okay this is my land now i yeah. I, I mean you don't get a chance to see that <laughs> you don't get a chance to see that too often yep well let's jump into the uh to the inaway fight and once we're done with inaway i want to come back and get your take not right now but at the end uh for our friend matt matt brown the mma fighter in the ufc wants to know who's the best pound for pound who's 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 performance was more impressive Crawford, in a way i'll Crawford, tell you right now don't answer yet well, well. no i gotta tell you Crawford and in a way you could make them one one and one a is that fair one and one a and you could interchange them i ain't um i can't put Crawford. i can't put anyone ahead of Crawford. i can't but i could put in a way right there on the same shelf as him i could put him right there uh, one and one a or, or whatever you whatever you're comfortable with he has those traits i talked about with crawford in a way has them in a way has them uh, the ability the cerebralness the calm the the eyes the instincts he's he's got all of that so good i'm sorry i uh we're, we're breaking no it's funny yeah. he he asked that question, and that's basically what I said. I said, I don't know what Teddy's going to say, but I'm going to guess that he's going to say it depends on what flavor of ice cream do you like. Do you like uh, cookies and cream? you like uh, chocolate cookie dough? I said, I think this just comes down to preference like fine art because they both like put on a master class and both destroyed their toughest, allegedly a toughest opponent to date. But in a way, gets the win against Stephen Fulton. He looked unbelievable doing it. To me, it was very similar to Crawford Spence. It was very anticipated. A lot of people gave both guys a good chance to win but in the end Inouye and Crawford just took their guys apart 
just piece by piece broke them down and just seemed like Fulton, much like Spence, never had a chance. He was just getting beaten about the ring, pillar to post. I didn't see anything that Fulton did that was better than Inouye, not even for a flash. Um, how'd you like it? No, I'm, look, as I said, I must have liked it if I could tell you that Inouye is right there, uh, you know, Yep. Right on par with somebody as great as what I just talked about, Crawford, for the last 45 minutes. Our fight plan was very well received and watched. Not only, you know, our numbers were really good, but not only by the fans. A lot of people have been telling me, Ken, but from what I was told by many people, it was also watched by the commentator of the of the fight. Because they said that, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, they said that he referenced, I don't mean to be thin-skinned, and I'm not, well, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I am. You, I got to be honest with myself as I want to be, other people always be honest and call them on it. But um, I, I didn't see, I didn't, I watched the fight, but I watched without sound. So, just so I could concentrate better. And, um, but, and I didn't see the pre-fight stuff, on ESPN, but a lot of people told me that the commentator referenced to a T verbatim what I had said in the fight plan. Hey, look, maybe great minds think alike. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I have a great mind, uh, but um, maybe that was it. But from what I was told, uh, almost word for word, um, if you listen to the commentator's pre-fight breakdown it was like watching my fight plan which had come out a few days earlier uh, than that um but anyway i i digress uh i know in the newspaper business somebody told me it would be called plagiarism but um people but people again being thin-skinned here but people keep telling me teddy imitation is the greatest form of flattery so, uh, you know, I, okay, um, uh, or robbery, um, <laughs> whatever. Consider myself flattered then. I, I consider my, consider me flattered consider then. Consider me <laughs> flattered. Um, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I put in a way on my pound for pound list I don't know, three years ago. Whatever it was. I don't even know how long. That's true. And no one... You've been on him before I even knew who he was. Ken, no one had him anywhere near it. They basically barely knew who he was, as you just touched on. And obviously, he dominated Fulton, or at least put it this way. He established control right from the start. He made Fulton... Fulton's a defensive fighter, a good counterpuncher. He made him concentrate more on defense and surviving than Fulton really wanted to early. He 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 set the again, he set the course of the fight, the mentality of the fight, the theme of the fight right from the start. Um and had him thinking of surviving more than he wanted to think of surviving. He being Fulton. I'm not saying Fulton wasn't trying to win. He was. He's a confident, very proud fighter. And he's very strong mentally too. I'm saying that he never fully got a chance to get into a a gear that that he'd have liked to where he could have gotten a rhythm going because in a way put him right on his heels and 
and a a bit uh, a bit into it, as I said, a defensive posture. Even though he's a defensive fighter who lives by defense and counters, in a way, Metley had him contained or limited a bit. Um, kind of like it felt to me. It was kind of like a guy that has a gun to someone's head the whole night. He had a gun. In a way, he had a gun to his head the whole night. And when you got a gun to your head, you're afraid to do certain things. Like if you do something wrong, you might get shot. And that's how it felt to me. That with the pressure that in a way put on early, it was like tantamount, mentally at least, to putting a gun to someone's head where you limit how they're going to think. You limit how aggressive they could be because there's a gun to your head or pointed at you. And it had that feel to it. Um, where it was also kind of, you know, like I said, it's hard to be comfortable when you're under that kind of duress, that kind of pressure. Uh, again, with that gun pointed to your head. And from a physical standpoint, it almost looked like like being put, you know, you have a lot of fast cars. You have Ferraris and all that stuff. So you would understand this. It's almost like putting somebody into a speeding car that's making turns at 120 miles per hour. And it's kind of hard to get comfortable behind the wheel when you're being tossed into the passenger seat. That's what it, <laughs> that's what it looked like to me. That, that he kept him under such pressure that he, he couldn't really get into the driver's seat. And the monster, I added a word to his name. The monster, I added a smart monster. And I said this before the fight, and I say it again, um, you know, that this was a matchup of styles that may have given you a glimpse of what a Pacquiao-Mayweather fight would have looked like if, it, if the fight had not happened five years too late, where Pacquiao was still at his peak as a great offensive fighter, like Inouye is, and versus a great defensive fighter, you know, uh, obviously like Mayweather, which Fulton was known to be, although not at quite at the level of Mayweather. There's not too many guys at that level. But to his credit, he had to go over to Japan. Fulton was ready mentally, physically, to give his best effort. And against any other fighter, Ken, at that weight, he probably would have won. But not against this. Not against this. You know, kind of like kind of like in the same situation. Who knew that the two pound-for-pound pound fighters fighting on the same week, that both of them would separate themselves the way they did and show you why they're so special. That, you know, both of them. Both of them. And I remember Pedro Martinez, you're getting another shout-out. I remember he said to me, Teddy, <laughs> in a way, is number one pound-for-pound pound right now after his fight. And I said, okay, I get it. That's how great he... I get it. The way he dismantled Fulton, you know, similar to the way in some ways that, that it turned out that Crawford had uh, later on, a few days later, done to Spence. But at that point, in a way, had fought. Spence and Crawford hadn't fought yet. And I remember I said to Pedro, my friend, I said, wait until the Crawford fights, though. You got to wait. Because Crawford just might 
not hit it out of the park. He might hit it out of the galaxy. Because, <laughs> and he did. He hit it out of the galaxy. Uh, in order, to, And you had to hit it out of the galaxy <laughs> to be better than, in a way, was. If, if that was possible. So, um, again, him and Crawford are separated from everyone else. Uh, it's number one and two, and then there's a. I'm I'm sorry, there there's a gap. There there there. You think there's a gap between those two guys and Usyk, who's also dominated two weight classes today? I love Usyk, I love Usyk, but yes, uh, not a Usyk's up there mentally being that special guy, but his his skill levels aren't quite quite at the level, quite at the level. That these guys skill level. He's very sound. He's he you know, he's not a monster puncher, but he's a good puncher, he's an accurate puncher, he's technically sound, he's dimensional. And that's another thing about Crawford. People said I said, Yeah, he he's gonna control the outside. But he he's comfortable sitting in the pocket. People jumped all over. He ain't sitting in the pocket with Spence. Spence will eat him up. He will barbecue his ribs. That was a quote. That was a quote. <laughs> he will barbecue his ribs, Dad, if he sits yep. in the pocket yeah, with Spence. Well, he didn't barbecue his ribs, okay? All right? If there was any barbecue <laughs> going on, it was uh, it was with the uh, Crawford and his, and, and his guys doing a barbecue. Because, again... Not only did I know how versatile and dimensional Crawford was, but how cerebral, how calm in an uncalm environment he was and how confident and how he could be comfortable anywhere. I, I, and again, I said, he could sit in a pocket. He could, if that's what he chooses to do, he, he could sit in a pocket and, and dish out punishment from the pocket to Spence. And he did. He did. So... In a way, in a way, is uh, again talk about Usyk. He could go inside, outside, does a lot of things, but not at the talent level, the pure talent level to execute it that these two guys do. Although Usyk is great, in a way, just never let Fulton really get anything started, or as I said, any rhythm. He uses jab again, similar to Crawford. He used the jab was very important for for in a way and for Fulton very important most important weapon of the night <laughs> in a way used his jab to stabilize Fulton on the outside then he plays good body shots to take some of his legs away uh, he was placing beautiful body shots uh, he stepped out of range very effectively controlling distance he was very good defensively you know everyone talked about Fulton's defense. In a way, his defense. Yeah, he's a great offensive fighter, but his defense, he was so good. He showed the ability to time punches, throwing them at the precise, proper time, like I talked about with Crawford. He set up combinations. He counted in spots. He cut the ring down when Fulton tried to use his legs, which he should have used, and he did try to use. He knew that Fulton was a very capable counterpuncher, so he knew while he wanted to press and push the fight, he could not be careless coming in. And yet, he still found a way to be very aggressive in spots. And here's the thing nobody talked about, Ken. <laughs> he found a way to be very aggressive with a very good counterpuncher in spots. And he sent a message to Fulton 
that he was the boss. And he would not be given a second to catch his breath, to rest up, to get himself together, that he'd always be under the gun, as I said earlier, and always be the hunted one. He, he sent that message with his aggression. In spots, he got so aggressive where it almost looked like he was rushing in, which it was. But here's the thing that nobody picked up on. Nobody touched this. It was done without risk. Remember those spots where he came right after him? He, he came right after him like a badger. Yeah. And, and you thought, oh, that might be, that might be <laughs> yeah, a chance. Exactly right. That might be a chance to counter him. That might be a reckless moment. Nope, nope, no, no. It was done without risk of ever being counted on the way in. You want to know why? In a way, read the feet of Fulton. He read his feet. And as soon as he saw Fulton move his feet backwards, bang! He charged in like the Marines taking a hill. And, and <laughs> you know, he, he understood that Fulton had those moments. He, he understood that Fulton, in those moments when he moved his feet backwards, he was not set to punch. So he wasn't dangerous. So he could come right in without any fear of being counted. So, yes, he was very aggressive in those spots. But for me, what he really was, he was brilliant. And he was opportunistic. That's what he was. Brilliant and opportunistic. Um, and then the coup de... What are they called? The coup de la grace. Coup de gras. 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 <laughs> to end the fight was he understood Fulton was a very smart, good defensive fighter, so he knew in order to land a significant fight-ending punch with him, he'd have to set him up and use the science. Don't matter how good a punch you are, if you can't deliver to the target clean, the delivery system. And sure enough, he jabbed partly to the body, and then he goes upstairs with the right hand after making Fulton look for the jab downstairs and he catches him clean and he and he hurts him brilliant brilliant and the only thing better than that the way he finished him then I mean really if that wasn't enough he hurts him he shows for me why he's the best finisher in the business like a smaller version of the great Joe Lewis who once you know once he had you hurt um, it was over you know, he got rid of you. Uh, I, I, I think the fighters of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and then the 80s were the best we've ever had. I mean, the 30s and 40s, there were guys like Henry Armstrong who had almost yeah. around 200 fights with 100 knockouts. You're never going to have another era like that. You're never. I get it. But again, but you're never going to have men like Armstrong again. But I'm saying that in a way, and Crawford are two of the few, really. And Sugar Ray Leonard I put in there too. But I'm talking about right now. The two of the few fighters today who could fit into that era or any era in the history of this sport. Pound for bound and ounce for ounce, in a way, and Crawford, they are, they, we are blessed 
to have them around. If we're sports fans, if we're boxing fans, we're ble- so just as blessed as we were around. If you were around as a baseball fan with Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and, you know, uh, pick your pick, Duke Snyder, you know, Henry Aaron, when they were around, that we were, you would have been blessed to be able to see those guys actually play in their prime. We are just as blessed as boxing fans to see these special men. That's it. I'm I'm done. (laughs) Well said. Well, we've still got a lot of stuff to cover here, so let's keep it rolling. While we were away two weeks ago, George Cambosis gets a highly controversial decision against Maxi Hughes. I know you've had a chance to watch that fight. What'd you think? Was it controversial? Who won the fight? Yeah, I missed it while I was away in Ireland. I watched it when I got back. First of all, it was not the great Brinks heist that I heard reported in some places, um, except for the one judge who had it huge for Cambosis. He should be run out of town, okay? Um, he, he's <laughs> one of the reasons why you should sign our petition for a national commission. Um, you know, he'd never work again in boxing unless, you know, unless he was handing out peanuts in a concession booth. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, maybe be allowed to do that. Maybe, but um, unfortunately, when you see a card like that, when you see a card like that, you can't help but to think like, "Oh, he's going to work again." He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He gave the decision predetermined to exactly who they wanted him to give it to. There's no way that an unbiased person, forget judge, anyone can look at that fight and not have that scorecard and be like, no, nah, I was closer than that. Right. I don't know what fight this one guy right. was watching. But so to your point, oh, he's going to work again. He's probably right. like in the in the uh, commissioner's like good graces, like, hey, good job. You did it. Little too obvious this time. Tone it down a little on the next one, but good job, brother. Keep it going. Here's an extra uh, couple hundred bucks for you. As for the fight, it was close. A point either way or a draw, I wouldn't argue. Use fought mm-hmm. a very disciplined fight, executed a very definitive fight plan where the where he counterpunched all night, mixing in, getting off first in spots two, and then going back to countering. He's got a very different, very difficult style to deal with. And on top of it, he's a southpaw. He's also very, very conservative and patient. He doesn't waste anything, and he does just what he has to do. Nothing, as I said, nothing extra. In other words, he's not that busy. And because of that, yeah, he can be out-hustled. And give credit also to Cambosis. He also came into the fight with a good fight plan. I don't think he got credit for it. I don't know that the commentators gave him I don't know. But with a good fight plan, he made adjustments to his own style and approach. He knew that he couldn't just be aggressive because he would have walked into counters all night long, you know, with this terrific counterpuncher. So he tightened up his game. And he inched his way in. You can see it. He literally inched his way in rather than start from too far away where he have, he would have been an easier target for countering. So, and he used his jab well. He was much more conscious of being more concise with his combination as to not leave room for counters. And he still pressed the fight without being reckless. 
And because he was the one being aggressive in a very, very controlled, contained, you know, low-volume fight. It was a low-volume fight. I could see judges favoring him a little bit because of that. And, and perhaps the key is that they were both good defensively. Neither got hit much, so the action was limited. So neither side had a big edge, guaranteeing a close fight. So at the end of the day, that's why I said it wasn't a great robbery like you know we've had and we get. We'll, we'll get one next week. Don't worry. Uh, don't worry. We will. But um, unfortunately, we probably will. Um, but it wasn't one of those great robberies like we've had so many of them in the sport. And I got to say this. I didn't say it. Uh, because I don't like British fighters, as a few dimwits out there said. Uh, all right, dimwits? Um, you know what I mean? Uh, really, uh, you don't even deserve to have a crumpet. You're No crumpet for you. No soup for you! No crumpets for you. Just because I feel Joshua's overrated, that, you know, that doesn't mean I dislike British fighters. I mean, I, I love Joe Kazaki. I, I love James Watts. I loved old Henry Cooper, Ken Buchanan, you know, from Scotland. Um, I think Watt was from Scotland, too. Um, Randy Turpin. Ricky Hatton. Ricky Hatton, more, more modern-day fighters. Um, all of them. I, I love those guys, you know. So, you know, matter of fact, I'm sure that the same uh, dopes that were accusing me of hating British fighters, they never even heard of James Watts. I bet you they never even heard uh, of some of, of Randy Turbin, who upset the great Sugar Ray Robinson, one of the probably the greatest upset in British boxing history, to be honest, um, uh, for the title, for the middleweight title. Listen, you know what it is, guys? Please, you should know me by now. Please, give me a little more credit than that. Please. I, I mean, you can say what you want. I get it. But I've seen too many horrendous robberies in this business that I I just can't allow myself to sound the alarm when it's not really worthy of that alarm. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not the boy that cried wolf. When I cry, there's a wolf there. There's, there's a freaking wolf there with his teeth out, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> as I said, if you want to give either one the nod, I'd have no problem, no problem. But this was, this was no John Dillinger. This uh, hold up, you know. John Dillinger didn't hold the joint up, uh, although that one judge may have been Butch Cassidy. Who the frick knows? Um, <laughs> uh, again, he needs to be uh, booted. He needs to be be booted out of there. But that's my that's that's what I got on that fight. That's what I got on that fight. All right. That works. Let's jump into the UFC. Alex Perea moves up and takes on Jan Blahovich, the one man who's beat, beaten, uh, well, the other man in the UFC, aside from Perea, who's beaten uh, Israel Adesanya, and Pereira gets a razor-thin decision. Two judges had a 29-28. One judge had a 29-28 for Blahovich. 
Great fight, balanced attacks both ways, really entertaining fight. The whole card at 291, UFC 291 was excellent. Um, but what'd you think of that performance from Perea? And uh, I thought it was interesting that Blahovich at the beginning of the fight, prior to the fight, said, yeah, I'm going to test him on his feet. We'll see what he can do on his feet. And like eight seconds in, he went for immediately for a shot and take try and take him to the ground. Because again, Perea's got that awesome kickboxing background. He's been uh, incredibly effective on the feet. How'd you like the fight? And uh, what'd you think of the decision really good fight very competitive back and forth a little bit really good fight i was shocked how big Pereira looked even though he was the one moving up from a lower weight class big man big man um i think i read that he came in the ring the day the day of the fight he was walking around at 228 after weighing in at crazy. 205 the thought of him weigh, fighting crazy. at 185 is no, insane I, I, I was just gonna say ken when I saw that, I just, really, I scratched my head. Like, how was he making weight as a middleweight? Like, how? How? Anyway. It's crazy. Uh, really. But having said that. 40 pounds? 40 pounds of weight on a very fit, athletic guy. is all, I, uh, I don't even know how he does it. Listen, the first round went to Blahovich for me. Uh, he was in his environment. Uh, more on the floor, you touched on it, more on the floor grappling and had control of Pereira on the mat and even had him close to a guillotine. It looked locked, you know, on his neck. Um, and and Blahovich miraculously had escaped <laughs> of uh, that kind of hold himself in the early part of the round, had escaped it from Pereira, which, which was pretty remarkable the way he escaped it. Um, the second round was Pereira's. He, he again, he had control of his environment. You know the geography he wanted, where he was striking and kicking, and you know he. Uh, even though Blahovich, I got to give him credit, he did some damn good striking himself. But for the most part, Pereira wanted that environment, standing, kicking, and he got that in the second round. Uh, good job during the during the night of defending really just good job all night by Pereira of defending takedowns and any of the action when he was on the mat where he was really must have worked hard at, at really that part of his game where he could defend those. Uh, it, it showed. It showed. And it came in handy. Uh, it came down to the third round as... Uh, as I said, I had a 1-1 after two rounds. So the third and final round was very close. I, I thought with a slight edge to Pereira for controlling, again, his environment just a little better. You know, his geography that made sense for him a little better, although Blahovich was nip and tuck really with him. But he tied a little bit, just tied a little bit. I, I thought Pereira had the edge, um, close, close, good fight. Uh, I have to give quick props and a mention to uh, Derek Lewis uh, real quick because when you he scored a 30-second KO, we know he hits guys with his fists, but he did it with a flying knee over Marcos, what, Rogerio de, de Lima. And, but the reason I got to mention it, Ken, that made it so special and shocking is Lewis, like 
And what is he? He's he's, he's three hundred pounds. I mean, he's got to be three hundred pounds. And <laughs> and <laughs> I, I mean, think he. I think they have to make two. I think he has to make two sixty five. And he came in with abs for the first time right, in so his career. And he made a big deal. So I'm wrong. I thought yeah. he was three hundred. I mean, he 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 looks like a rhino. <laughs> he calls himself what the black rhino, right? And and yeah, I mean, yeah. But just to see somebody that big, <laughs> that big, um, to show the athleticism. To pull that off was really impressive. It really was. And and, and it was yeah. a great... My son, Teddy, made a good point. He said, you know, that was a good, subtle, in his own way, setup. I said, what do you mean, bud? He said, well, obviously, his opponent thought he was going to come after him with fists, which he always does. And so when he started charging at him, he probably was had in his head that he's coming, you know, it's still going to be fists. And then it comes with a knee. He said, so in a way, it was pretty yep. damn strategic of him and pretty damn smart. And we don't give credit to guys like him who are just big punches as being smart. And we should, because that was smart. Any, anyway, um, so just impressive. Whether with punches or, you know, with his knee, Lewis, well, his MO is always the same. He gets you or you get him. So um, just altogether, again, a, a great night of just... You know, it was a terrific night of of expectations. When I saw that, uh, when I saw the way he jumped on him and finished him, I was thinking of you too because I was thinking you'd probably say uh, Lewis knows how to finish. He saw blood in the water, and my God, did he oh, empty yeah, the tank yeah. and go for oh, it. No. Thank God he got the stoppage because <laughs> he really he threw everything he had at him for a good 10, 15 seconds, which takes a lot out of you. So well, the knee, the congratulations knee to the suddenly. black beast I, I took, oh yeah. for sure but, uh, but all together, I think he said that was his last fight on his deal too I, I, I hope we see him again he's a fun guy to watch I like him I like his personality I you know I, I mean you, you're gonna get action you know that one way or the other you're getting action you're, you're never gonna be uh, bored with him and um, just all together uh, I know we're gonna touch on other stuff but uh, obviously big UFC fight the, the main event but um uh, you know, a a night of just a night of expectations. If, even if they didn't all turn out to be, you know, the drag out wars we were expecting. Instead, you know, they ended up, you know, in some one sided, you know, quickly invading one side, quickly invading the capital, if you will, and taking out the leaders. Yeah. Um, it was over before any real war could start, but. The and I know we're gonna touch. We're gonna talk about our our friend Dustin and his fight, but it, it just just the the air, the energy, and the anticipation with the Crawford fight, uh, and you know with all of it with the uh, with the UFC, they just put on these unbelievable cards. Just the anticipation of what we were prepared to see that was in the air. In the in the end, whether it's whether it was the Spence Crawford fight or Poirier Gagey, which we're going to talk about match, the res I wanted to say this: the results and performances of both winners were was so spectacular that in the end we we were satisfied because we were watching. That's right. You know, we were watching special talents. So anyway, let's get to our our good friend and good special warrior. Um, did you, go ahead, take us to the next, next, next one. 
Yep. Third member of the broadcast team, Dustin Poirier. He actually just sent a text saying, thank you. I sent him a message from both of us. I said, hey, I know it didn't go the way you wanted it. But if losing wasn't a possibility, winning wouldn't be a big deal either. So congrats on an awesome performance, unfortunately. Hey, he got you, but you'll be back. And he said, thank you. Thank you to Teddy. Tell him I uh, said hello. Um, yeah, Dustin, uh, two of the three judges had the first round for Dustin. It was obviously what you would have expected for the first round. Uh, Stand-up battle, both guys throwing shots, feeling each other out. I had Dustin with a slight advantage. It's always hard to watch, as you know, your friend fight because you want to give him every advantage in every exchange. But again, uh, you know, it's very difficult when he's fighting a guy who you also respect and like um, in Justin Gaethje. You know, these guys obviously had a tremendous and mutual respect for each other and uh, just total pros. It's the kind of way, like I've said this before, like I'm not a big fan of all the trash talking and the craziness. The Spence Crawford fight, I thought that they promoted that perfectly. Just enough talking without getting crazy and physical and too aggressive. And um, Poirier Gaethje delivered. And unfortunately for Dustin, uh, Justin set a perfect set up his head kick perfectly, reminiscent of uh, as they showed a million times on the on the on the replay in the UFC, reminiscent of Usman's loss to um, Leon Rocky Edwards with a um, kind of a throwaway punch up top, followed right behind with the head kick, caught Dustin perfectly, and uh, turned the lights out. Um, yeah, tough loss for Dustin Poirier, but uh, he's a champ. I'm sure he'll be back. Great win for Justin Gaethje to even the score at one apiece. How'd you like that one? First, you know, full transparency, right? We we took a little bow for getting the Crawford Spence one right, uh, picking Crawford. So right away, have to start with saying I picked Poirier here, so I got that wrong. Although obviously, like anybody. I said that this was an extremely dangerous fight uh, for our friend, uh, Dustin. And um, as much, you know, I want to say before I break it down, as much as we rave rightfully about Poirier, you know, uh, and what a special person, obviously what a classy person he is, uh, outside of the octagon as well as inside of it. Obviously, what a savage he is inside the cage, um, as as many of them are. Um, but just as much as he's a savage outside, he's that much of a gentleman and a class act outside of the octagon. Um, I should also say that Gagey, in and out of that steel cage, uh, is is also a classy guy. And at the end of the fight, you can see that the two of them in the locker room afterwards, the respect, the mutual respect for each other, but just class acts, both of them. So I just wanted to, we don't know Gagey the way we know Dustin, so we can't say it the same. Um, but I thought it was worth saying that before I broke it down, that Gagey, uh, Gagey's a class act. He's a... Uh, you know, again, he's a savage inside the ring or inside the cage the same way as Dustin is uh, and and similar to Dustin as a human being outside. Uh, just, just as I said, just uh, what you would hope somebody uh, of that caliber would be that's so good in, in what they do, that they would be that good in handling themselves as a person. And, and so they both are. They're both... They're both just uh, 
terrific people, terrific fighters. Uh, in their match, in their first match, the breakdown, when, when I did the breakdown for this fight, I pointed out how much damage Gaethje had inflicted on the legs of Poirier in the first fight with his leg kicks, which he did. And of course, you got the best commentators in the world uh, doing UFC, and they point that right out. Uh, I believe, I believe there was something at work here that I want to point out. I believe he brilliant, and I leave it up to you know the the masters in the UFC. I don't try to go into their territory. The striking, I will, but I, I don't try to go anywhere else because they are the masters. They they are brilliant, all of them. Um, DC, Rogan, Anik, uh, every 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 one of them. Uh, you know, Anthony Smith, everyone, uh, all of them. Biz Payne, and now I was so happy to see Chael Sonnen back. Uh, I'm so happy. I mean, because he's so damn good too. They all are. They all are. But for me, he was missed. He was, it was good to see him back. Although, I, like I said, anyone who gets in that seat is like murderer's row. It's like the old uh, 1930s Yankees where you had Babe Ruth, you had, you know, uh, DiMaggio, you had Lou Gehrig. Yeah, I mean, just one killer after another. Um, that's why they called it murderer's row. UFC commentators, there's no weak spots. But I was glad to see Chael back. It was great. Uh, I, I believe that Gagey, that he did something brilliantly that he used the memory of those leg kicks in their first fight with Dustin, where he damaged Dustin's legs with his, you know, especially his front leg, where I, I really think that Gagey used that memory against Dustin a little bit to set him up, to set up Poirier, where he was aware of the kicks, you know, down below, and then this time he set him up to the head with the kick that you just described. That Poirier never expected it looking for them below. I, I'm not saying that, but that Dunson wasn't, of course he prepared for everything. But I think that, I, I want to give credit to Gagey, uh, that I think that he realized he did so much pounding of the legs in the first one that Poirier would be, Obviously, looking for those, and maybe it would give him a little opportunity to sneak one upstairs a little better than normally. And he he never, obviously, he never saw it, and he used what you said. He used the exact same setup that Edwards, who's been on our show, he's a gentleman too, but he used the same setup that Edwards used to knock out Usman by... In this case, Gagey used his right hand uh, as a distraction, a throwaway punch, to, you know, just to blind Poirier and then land the kick. The only difference was that Edwards, you know, did it from the southpaw stance and Gagey did it from the orthodox stance. That, that's, that was really the only difference. Um, in the first round, Gagey looked improved. Again, I want to uh, I give credit, I think where credit's due. And 
he he had to be because Dustin is you know is Dustin. I mean he's he's the monster that he is. But in, and of course Gage is coming in there having been knocked out in the fourth round by him in their first fight. So in the first round I noticed Ken that Gage he credit to his trainer credit to him he looked improved from their first fight where. This time, instead of just standing in front of Dustin, he moved laterally to keep Poirier off balance. Uh, he made it hard for him to get set to punch. Dustin's a really good puncher. And if he hurts you, he's a great finisher. Um, and and Gagey picked spots beautifully for his punches. So I, I saw that. I really thought that he made an improvement in that area. And then in the second round, again... He landed a good leg kick to Poirier's leg early in the round. And then he set him up for that kick upstairs, obviously, later. So, two absolute warriors, all class and respect, as I said, shown by both. And as I said, in the locker room afterwards, it's beautiful. You love to see that. And um, anyway, that's, that's I just like to, uh, I like to see Gagey get a title fight. Um, I know there's a that's a that's a hell of a busy class that's a stacked uh, class, but I'd love like to see him get a title fight, and I'm happy to see him get a big money fight. You know, uh, yeah, because very just like Poirier, they're very similar. Where Poirier earned what he got, he earned it. He did it the hard way. He did it the right way. You know, he earned his way up there to make money and get to where he got to and um you know gauge is the same thing he's earned that chance and um no doubt that that Poirier will be back because because of his nature and his character I mean that's just what he does he he you know that's what he does yeah he finds a way he comes back that's right and um his character is as much a part of his strength as as his southpaw Boxing ability, striking ability, grappling ability, jujitsu ability. His character is, is probably the strongest thing he has, which has gotten him to where it's gotten him. So that will serve him well uh, to, you know, to come back from this. Well, Teddy, before we jump into a preview of the um, Jake Paul fight, I want to just give a shout out to our friends over at Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Atlas to get 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Teddy, I know you took the travel packs with you over to Ireland. They kept your immune system healthy, made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. It's the one supplement you have to take every day, or at least I take every day. If you only take one, this is what I'd take. All-in-one green vegetable drink sourced from Whole Foods. You can't get a better source of vitamins. Um, and I know they served you well while you were in Ireland. Yes, uh, yes, they did. Teddy, let's jump Ken, in. Ken, I got to add something to that. Good. Yes, they did. Yeah. They did. And you know what? They go great with Guinness. <laughs> Even the guys over there were saying, you got a little, uh, you know, you got a little pep to your step there after that, that Guinness there, Teddy. I said, huh. I put a little something extra from the States, from the States, mates. <laughs> well, I want to do, uh, for the for the boxing, uh, for the YouTube boxing fans out there, I wanted to give a quick uh, preview of the uh, uh, Jake Paul and Before you do that, I want to say one thing. From, yeah. Aspinelli, Aspinall, and Tibura. 
Tom Aspinall. Yeah, somebody, yep. I know someone out there in the UFC is going to say, why didn't you mention him? Real quick, real quick. The heavyweight Aspinall, sure. Aspinall um, he came back after a layoff, you know, for his Achilles tendon surgery, and he looked like a player in the heavyweight division. You know, his striking talent, technique looked good. And um, and the thing was, against Tybura, I mean, he did it with, uh, with Tybura, who's a tough, legitimate test. You know, I, I don't think he's ever been stopped before. So, uh, yep. as Aspinall stopped him, uh, his, you know, his striking talent technique looked good, as I said, and his thinking process uh, I liked, where, you know, he used his jab and his straight right hand, you know, to get to the southpaw. Right hands often land against southpaws. So, I just want to throw that out there for the UFC guys that were probably saying, well, how come you didn't mention him? Because I look forward to seeing him in there again uh, with one of the top guys. I really do. You know who's, you know who's super high on Aspinall is uh, our friend Michael Bisbing, who uh, Mike, Michael has uh, said he wants to come on the show sometime in the next couple of weeks. So for the fans of Michael Bisbing, the count, the look best. for him. He's, He's coming to Nashville. Yeah, he's coming to Nashville to cover the UFC this weekend. I'm supposed to get together with him and uh, John Anik. So that will be fun. I'm looking forward to those fights. Anyone who's going to the UFC at Nashville, I'll be at that fight. Um, you just keep getting bigger. Your Rolodex keeps getting thicker, and you just keep getting bigger. Nah. And I'm going to need sunglasses uh, just, just to be <laughs> next to you, just to keep the glint, just to keep the glint from blinding me. Nah, all these guys would hang out with you. I'm the like, next best thing they can get. Since you're not coming to the fights, they'll settle for me. But this fight, this uh, Nate, Nate, Nate Diaz, Jake Paul, for our friends at MyBookie, go to MyBookie.ag and use the promo code If you Atlas. went to MyBookie, if, if you went bet. to MyBookie after you listened to our fight plan, right? Yep. And in the Inouye fight or especially the Crawford fight, you would have had the under- and you would have had the side of Crawford. That's right. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's exactly right. But if you're going to make a bet, go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas. They'll give you a 50% credit on your first deposit up to 1000 bucks. So you put in $2,000, they will give you 1000 Obviously, don't put in 2000 if you only take home 2000 a month. So bet responsibly. Use your brain. Uh, but if you do care to wager, you'll want to listen to Teddy's breakdown before you do it. Check him out at mybookie.ag. Wait, 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 wait. Bet responsibly, as Ken said. Do not... Bet while yes. you're drinking your Guinness. No. <laughs> unless you have athletic greens mixed unless in, you have, it might balance it out. Unless you have athletic uh, greens mixed <laughs> in, it, it will balance it That's, out. <laughs> Jake Paul, big favorite, minus 384. Uh, Nate Diaz, plus 247. Over, under, seven and a half rounds, basically even money. Over is at minus 125. The under is at minus 112. Pretty close to even, like I said, seven and a half rounds. Let's get into it. What are you looking for How here? Many I mean, rounds? Based on How the many training, rounds is the fight going? Uh, because I don't have internet and we're doing this via my telephone, right, Wi-Fi for our connection, I believe it's a 10-round fight. All right, 10. I believe. All right, so 10 rounds. So seven and a half, you said, is the under over? Yep. Okay. And what weight are they contracted at? Because, uh, again, I, I like Paul. I like what he's done, everything, and I love Diaz. But, again, Paul's going to have a weight advantage. Um, I'm just uh, 
just wondering what for the fans out there because if I'm going to break it down, I want to break it down the right way. Um, what weight is this fight contracted at? Because Paul always puts a weight stipulation. Obviously, he's the you know of course he he he's the guy that's been setting these fights up and you know drawing the attention where it comes from YouTube and he's and now he's fighting all these different guys and he's done a great job. He he's respected the sport. He's learned what he needed to learn. He's he's progressively gotten better. Um he finally satisfied the people that said, Well you fight a boxer, you know, instead of just a MMA guy or an older MMA guy. Well, he did, you know, he fought Fury. It was a close fight. He came up short, but a, a close competitive fight. Uh, Fury's, uh, you know... Uh, 185. All right, so I would say, am I correct that Jake Paul's going to be the bigger guy, right? But Diaz, when Diaz fought in the UFC, he was fighting at a lower weight class than that, right? Obviously. I mean, I think he he might have. I don't think he started at forty five, but he was definitely at fifty five. Well, I mean. Then he was at one seventy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he and then he was at one seventy most so recently. The, the fight thing. is also ten ten, ten rounds, rounds hundred eighty five pounds. All right, so good. We got it done the right way for the fans out there. We're gonna break it down. Let's break it down properly. So Jake's got. First of all, I think he's gotten better. I think he's continuing to progress. Diaz is gonna be what he's gonna be. You know, just a tough son of a gun, MMA, UFC fighter, just as tough as they come. Great, great, great following because of his toughness, because of his attitude. He gives Noah's, as my um, son's friends jokingly will say, he no Fs given, okay? Does that get to the point? <laughs> no Fs given. Jake Paul, look, you're never going to match Diaz, the iconic you know, legend that he is from MMA uh, and the fights and awards that he's been in, uh, you know, he is what he is. But Jake Paul is still a work in progress. A couple years, few years now in boxing, did it the right way, got a trainer, dedicated himself, learning the right way. Yes, he picked his spots, but he picked them, other than the first one against the basketball player, he he is Nate Robinson, who was you know smaller guy when he played. <laughs> he and not a fighter. <laughs> Other than that, <laughs> yeah, he's fought some older guys, no doubt about it. Uh, Silver, the great great Silver, um, uh, that he fought, and that was a competitive fight. Uh, was old. Uh, he's you know Woodley was older in his forties. He, he's he's picked his spots, but he's picked them against real fighters other than the first fight that he had against real MMA fighters for the most part um, that were tough guys that were, you know, there were guys that had a background in fighting. Yes, it was in boxing uh, where he had the edge, even though he's, you know, newer at it. He, it was in his element if you will but still you got to remember even though it's in Paul's element Paul's new at this element <laughs> these other guys <laughs> even though their element is MMA that he fought for the most part you know they still been fighting their whole lives or most of their lives they're still 
that mentality of fighters that Paul's only had a couple years to get into that gear, to get into that domain, to get into that science. They've been straight. Yeah, again, I know a lot of them, the grappling, the jujitsu is, is, is a big part, maybe was the biggest part of their strengths, but striking was part of it too. And, and again, they were professional fighters. They were used to getting into that arena that very few people can get into, that, that scary place inside a ring where you have to be able to, you know, be calm in an uncalm environment where you have all so much pressure on you, deal with that element of fear that you got to give Paul credit that, you know, again, that he's been able to make that jump from, you know, being a promoter with the YouTube stuff, seeing an opportunity, and then bringing it over to the to this, whether you want to call it celebrity, boxing, whatever you want to call it, bringing it over to this. And then, again, yeah, he picked his opponents well. So did Floyd Mayweather in, in many parts of his career. I know I'm not comparing him to Floyd Mayweather, so don't get nuts out there, you know, don't get your britches tight. Some of you guys that are always looking to jump on something, uh, no matter how ridiculous it might be, but you, you're always looking. But the point I'm making is he's still a work in progress. He's taking it seriously. He has fought real professional fighters. And now he's picking another a legendary guy, just like, just like uh, Silva, Anderson Silva was. Uh, but you know, at at the end of his career, because he's he's basically left the UFC now, Diaz obviously, and he's going to do this. But he's still fight, and a guy who's not as old as Anderson Silva, he you know uh, Diaz is you know much younger than him, but he's still again he's still picking a fighter, he's still picking a guy who's got the mentality of a of a warrior the a guy who knows how to be calm in uncalm places a guy who you know who can see things in a ring that most people could never see um a guy who hurt leon edwards with a punch late in a fight against leon edwards who's now the welterweight champion upset the great Usman, who hurt him with a punch but he didn't have enough time to finish or to follow up i don't know if he would have been able to finish him but he didn't follow up immediately and then he lost that opportunity who knows but he did catch him with a punch because he does throw unorthodox punches he throws wide punches yep. he does leave himself open diaz but he does also give himself a chance to land because they're coming from angles you don't expect. Even though there yep. is a defensive liability in the wideness that he sometimes throws them with. Um, yeah. So it's going to be, again, it's going to be it's going to be boxing. It's it's not the rules where, you know, where you wouldn't even give a hesitation to say, well, I'm taking Diaz because he's allowed to get him on the ground where he would obviously be able to you know, be superior, dominate him in his environment. So it's boxing rules. Diaz, he can strike. He's a tough guy, but again, he he's not hard to hit. You know, he, he's, the old timers would say in some of his fights, he gets insulted if you miss him. Um, 
So, you know, but but he's got a chin of granite. He's got a heart of five lions. We know all that. But again, he's now, as crazy as this sounds when I say it, even though he's the guy with all the history of fighting, he's the guy with the long career, he's the guy who's iconic. He's now in Jake Paul's theater, in his arena, where Jake Paul is the bigger guy, where he's got the edge with that, which he always gets the edge because he's the one putting these together. He's the one that's, you know, I'm not saying he's bringing all the money this time, um, or like Canelo does, but he's always, he's he's brought the interest. He's the one who's initiated this. Diaz will bring a big fan to base, so it should be successful at the box office. Um, I have to go, again, with Jake Paul because he... At minus 247, you like Jake yeah, Paul? Yeah, because... At first, I'm going to forget what the odds are. I'm just going to go with who Sorry, do I like. Sorry, at minus, minus, three. yeah, three. minus 384. Yeah, three. I'm going to forget the lines for a minute. I, I'm i just going to go with who I think is going to win first. That's how the best way yeah. for me to handicap it. And Jake Paul, yeah, Diaz could catch him with one of those unorthodox shots, uh, the way he has caught other people in the, in the cage, and the way that he caught Edwards where he had him hurt at the end, even though he didn't finish him. But I'm going to say Jake Paul has advanced enough. He's developed enough. You know, he's still got a ways to go. He's still a work in progress where his defense can deal with the, those punches from DS. And where one thing that Paul does, he, he throws a pretty good jab. He throws his punches pretty straight, especially his right hand. And he throws the right hand straight with power. I think he's going to get an opportunity to control Diaz on the outside with his jab because Diaz will be right there in front of him. And he, it's you, you're not going to mistake Diaz for, you know, uh, an imitation of Floyd Mayweather. You know, he, he, he ain't going to be slipping and dipping and doing shoulder rolls on you. He's going to be there. He's going to eat some punches and he's going to look to get to you. I think that Paul is developed enough to use his jab to control Diaz on the outside, and then to either set up the right hand behind the jab, or to maybe catch Diaz with a a timed right hand as Diaz maybe throws a wide left hook. At the end of the day, I'm going to go with Paul. I think he's going to be able to control, you know, control the he's going to have to be careful to control the pace of the fight because Diaz has a has a motor that never stops. He, he he's, he's got an engine that, that is going from morning, noon, night, and, and beyond. So he's legendary with his endurance capabilities. Um, Paul's going to want to control the pace and slow it down. I think he can do that by using his legs to move to the sides, by controlling range, by using his jab, as I said, and picking spots for the right hand. Uh, I think he'd get a chance maybe to even land clean right hands where he could impact. I know Diaz has a granite shin, but where maybe he can, you know, affect Diaz with a good right hand, and then if he can put punches behind that, like the left hook behind that, he, he might have a chance to, 
you know, to do a little damage to Diaz, uh, where possibly you could take a little venture on the under. But at the end of the day... That's what I was yeah, going to say too, yeah. At the end of the day, I'm going with Paul to win the fight. Maybe a little play on the under. Although, don't ever, ever bet too much on Diaz to be conquered, especially where he wouldn't be standing at the... Even if he loses, where he wouldn't be standing at the end because he's a proud, tough son of a gun. Uh, we talk about finding a way. He he understands that very well. Finding a way, whether to to win or to survive or whatever he has to do. Um, at the end of the day, he'll be trying to win. He'll be out there winging. Uh, Paul's technique, I think, is better. I think uh, his straight punches will carry the day for him. Uh, and and I I will I will go with Paul to win that fight. Very nice. So there you have it. Jake Paul in the under. Go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code Atlas if you're inclined to bet on the fight. Teddy, thanks for doing this very thorough breakdown. We covered it all. Uh, if we missed anything, I'm sure you can never satisfy everyone. I'm sure they'll be out there letting us know if we missed anything. But uh, I enjoyed that. I think we covered everything. And um, I know you have a busy day today with the uh, Spence Crawford breakdown with, uh, I think you said you're doing Stephen A., Ryan Clark in uh, D.C. Yeah, Ryan Clark in D.C., I'll be doing them tomorrow. And I'm doing, um, yeah. I'm doing my buddy... Uh, Stephen A. Uh, actually, in a few minutes, I'll be talking to Stephen A. Who do you think's gonna talk more, me or him? Him. It's close. It's close. Go to my go to my <laughs> book and get the line. <laughs> with that being said Teddy thanks again welcome back from Ireland and uh, guys thanks for being with us we'll be back next week with a full breakdown of the UFC card coming up from Nashville I'll be at that fight if you're there come and say hello and uh, Teddy have a great week and say hello to Stephen A for us will do thank you brother see you guys